Again, our New Testament reading comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Hear ye the word of the Lord. <clears throat> now discern, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversity of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another by faith the same Spirit, to other gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. God's word for God's people and God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. I want to spend a little time talking about the value of gifts. I uh, figure we are far enough removed from Christmas to talk about this, uh, but Christmas is definitely uh, a stressful time. Yes, you get some time off from work if you're fortunate enough, and uh, yes, you get uh, to spend some time with family, and, and you know, some of us might even actually celebrate the birth of Jesus during this time, but it's still particularly stressful, and it's stressful because we get gifts for each other. You have your white elephant parties, your secret Santa parties, all of these things going on at your jobs and any particular organizations you're a part of, but it's stressful because people get gifts and people don't always spend the same amount of money on gifts for each other. And so that's kind of stressful because you have some people who are willing to go all out to buy a gift for someone, and then you have some people that might just stop by the corner store on the way to the party to pick something up. And it becomes stressful. Why is it stressful? Because we value certain gifts over the other ones. Gets to the point that they set limits on the gifts. So you'll be participating in the Secret Santa, and they have to send out multiple emails. A reminder, we have a $10 limit on the gifts. Reminder, we have a XYZ number, or that you can only get one kind of gift, or it has to be this kind of thing. Why? Because people do not want to be embarrassed because we put a value on the gifts. I remember seeing, I believe it was a, a Kohl's commercial 
where they were having a gift exchange and someone bought a vase or vase, whatever you want to call it, and it was almost as tall as the person. And everybody got mad and said, well, I thought we were adhering to the $20 gift limit. And they were advertising that, yes, you could get a piece of artwork this big for under $20 and still be in because we value the gifts. Uh, I recall growing up, I used to work at uh, Sears when I was in Indianapolis, and we used to have to uh, print gift receipts. It was a receipt that you, when you got it, did not list the price of the item. So that way, if the person didn't like the gift, they could return it without actually seeing what the price was. And we'd also go through painstaking times when we were giving these gifts to, when you're giving gifts to other people to scratch the price off or take the price cap. Why? Because we value these gifts. And valuing gifts is not something that is new. We didn't just come up with this. They had this sort of problem even in the early church, as we read in the text. Uh, the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, one of many letters that he wrote, two of which we found and were able to put into this Bible. Uh, but they had some troubles uh, trying to get their church started. I mean, I can't imagine putting a bunch of different people together to try to start a church and they having any trouble getting running. I mean, how does that happen? Everybody in the church gets along. <clears throat> so, in this church in Corinth, uh, one of the problems that they had is that you had a bunch of people who at one point had different social statuses all coming together into the same church, the same house. You had rich and poor, you had slave and free, male and female. All of these different people were coming together and where prior to this, one would have outranked the other. When they came to the church, all of that ranking went away. Well, it was supposed to. And some people still wanted to bring those previous rankings that they had into the church system. And so Paul had to write a bunch of letters to explain to them how church folk were supposed to act towards each other. Amen? Right. And one of those things that he talked about was the gifts. And he says in the text that he does not want you to be ignorant. I got stuck there for a moment when I was trying to prepare. Uh, if you don't already know, I have a particular pet peeve. And my particular pet peeve when it comes to ministry is how many people leave the church because their quote-unquote pastor is not teaching. And then they go to these different things, and they go to these different uh, religions, in other words, that seem to want to quote the Bible more than we do ourselves. And it doesn't help any, 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 any better when you go to the seminaries and the churches where they're trying to train you to become a Bible teacher, and they tell you there that they don't value biblical literacy. It's a lot of money to be learning about the Bible from someone who does not value biblical literacy. And I might just be a little more sensitive to it because I'm starting to pay more out of pocket, but just bear with me. <laughs> just bear with me about that. We ought to teach the Bible a whole lot more. If we are to 
call ourselves Christians, if we are to call ourselves people of God, we ought to know what God says. And so even here, the Apostle Paul tells them that he does not want them to be ignorant. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved. A workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Hosea told us that our people perish for what? A lack of knowledge. Isaiah 28, 8, 9, and 10 says, Whom shall he teach the knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand the doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast for precept must be upon precept, line upon line, and here a little and there a little. We ought to spend some time in the Word. You spend some time in the Word, you'll be able to value what the Word has to say. And so he's there, so he doesn't want us to be ignorant, so he wants to talk about these gifts and how these people value these gifts. And it's an introduction to the subject to spiritual gifts And he reminds us that there's a difference between the pagan gifts that they had and their Christian experience. This is a time when Christianity and those who were uh, following Jesus were new on the block. Matter of fact, some people even called them atheists at the time because they were not worshiping those pagan gods that had been around. But Jesus came to get rid of all of that. And so he says that these are spiritual gifts and You had these pagan idols, but these pagan idols couldn't talk. That's why they called them dumb. They couldn't tell them what to do in the midst of trouble. They couldn't give them an encouraging word in times of trouble. They couldn't let them know that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up in wings and eagles. When you wanted to go to them and you needed an encouraging word, wasn't there to be found. That's why the idols were dumb. But yet and still, whenever we want to know what God has to say to us, we have some way to listen to what God has to say to us. God is speaking. The song says he walks with me and he talks with me and tells me I am loved. He talks. So he says the, you all have left those dumb idols and now you have come to something that talks something that can talk to you, something that is living and breathing and created the world and knew us before we were formed. Mm -hmm. And he tells us to leave those things alone. But now that we're in this new thing, there are gifts. These gifts are understandable as well. That was another thing that happened during those times as you uh, if you wanted to hear from the idol, you never went to the idol itself. You went to the oracle. And the oracle would give you words. But the problem with the oracle's words is that they were not understandable. Again, that's why he said they were dumb. It wasn't clear. It doesn't matter if we sit here and talk if the, if the language is not understood. It is of no value. So it is a gift that we are able to talk to our Lord and understand him. Understand what he means and understand what is said. And that's why it's been unchanged for so long. That's why it's the best-selling book of all time. That's why people who don't even believe in Jesus will read the Bible. I come across multiple atheists who have read the Bible cover to cover multiple times. Do it once a year. They have no problem with Jesus. They have a problem with the church. They're good with the husband. It's the bride, the wife that they have a problem with, the wife 
the church is the wife of Jesus and they have a problem with that. Have you ever come across somebody like that? You like them, but it's their spouse that kind of makes it unbearable to deal with. And you can't really have one without the other, so you might well avoid them both. And that's what we that's what we miss out on. Are we become, are we a presentable spouse to this Jesus that we represent? So you have this understandable speech. And then he says that no one speaking by the spirit of God can say that Jesus is cursed. It's a form of rhetoric. There weren't actually people out there going around actively cursing God when he was talking about this passage. This was to set up the next part of the verse where he says that no one can say Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. It's a form of an argument. You present what's wrong about certain things and then you come back with what's right. And it says that Jesus is Lord, but that phrase has become a little empty. It has lost some of its meaning. And it's probably because we use it as much or, or, or too much sometimes. You know, it's kind of like that ritual when you meet somebody, hey, how are you doing? And the other person says, fine, even though they're really not fine. It's just something we do as a practice, unless we have a, a great relationship with that person or we're hurting to the point that we have to say something. But most of the time when people ask how you're doing, they usually say good, and it's such a ritual, it's become empty that we don't even listen sometimes when we ask people how we're doing. Are they really doing fine? We say, how are you doing, and keep moving. And just as how are you doing has become empty, Jesus is Lord has become empty. But when we say that Jesus is Lord, it's not a simple ritual without meaning. I have no problem with ritual. Ritual is repetition. We have our own rituals all the time. We have a ritual when we get up. We have a ritual before we get to work. We have a ritual before we do certain things. But the problem is you have to do it when you do it over and over again. You still have to make sure that it has meaning. And so when we say that Jesus is Lord, we are supposed to mean that Jesus has rule over our entire lives. Not just what we want. Not just what we consider sacred, but everything, every nook, every cranny, every, everything that is sacred and everything that is special and everything that is not sacred and everything that is not special. Why? Because it is not our lives to live. Uh, the Bible says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It is not I who lives in me, but the Christ who lives in me. I live in him the flesh by the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And Galatians 3, 27 and 28 says, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. When we say that Jesus Christ is our Lord, Lord rules over things. I would like someone, I would dare someone rather to go to their landlord and tell them, you don't own this part of the house. 
A Lord is a ruler over those things. And then it says in Colossians 3, 1 through 3, then you were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind upon things above, but not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is not our life to live. These are not our gifts to give. God gave us those gifts and we are supposed to use them for the benefit of God's kingdom. Uh, But then it goes on to say in Romans 14 and 8, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we die or we live, we are the Lord's. When you say that Jesus is Lord, it's all encompassing everything. Even when you think nobody else is watching, that's still a part of Jesus. This is not our life to live. These are not our gifts to give. This is all for the benefit of the kingdom. And they lived this way back then because they lived with the expectation that Jesus was coming back to finish what he started. And it did not matter when the time was. You just keep on pressing until your time is done. And that was important. They lived like this. They lived like everything came from Jesus and they lived like every gift came from God because they realized the source that it came from. Yes, they might have been able to do some other things when they were out and about and above and and, and other things. But when they came to Christ, when they came to follow the way, they realized the source. And that source was the Holy Spirit. See, you had these Corinthians, the people in the church at Corinth, and apparently they had begun to exaggerate the importance of the gift of tongues. So Paul had to remind them that the same spirit gives the deliverance of all of these gifts. And he gives a variety of gifts to his people because it's of the same Lord and the same God. And they all came from it. There was no one gift better than the other. And we all may have been guilty of this at one time. I'll speak for myself and I'll speak for pastors as well. We tend to value certain gifts over the other ones. We will put up from a lot. We will put up with a lot from a particular member if they can sing well. We we will overlook certain things if we can get the right minister of music in the church. I'm just talking about pastors in general. I'm not talking about this. I'm just saying in general, we value certain gifts over the other. Those who are willing to help a lot more. Those who are willing to sort of be the personal armor bearer might get a little preferential treatment. And it's the same thing amongst the members. We value certain gifts over other ones. Who do we think can pray the best? Who do we think needs to lead a particular ministry? We value these gifts over the same one. But what the Apostle Paul is saying is that that is not the way it is supposed to be. This is not for our benefit, but for the benefit of the church. These people in the church of Corinth and elsewhere had enjoyed a position of privilege. And moving to this new thing, some of them wanted to uh, keep 
that position of privilege that they had. And so that's why when you read the uh, book of First and Second Corinthians, it talks about a lot of things. It talks about some of the richer members taking the poor members to court because they could take advantage of them in their uh, particular situation. Even the way that the Lord's Supper was distributed. When they talked about that, because the Lord's Supper was not just the, 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 uh, the bread and the wine, but it was also part of an all-encompassing meal. And some of the poor members had to work later. And so the richer ones who did not have to work later would go eat, get their fill, and not leave anything for everybody else. But we are supposed to be a part of the same church. And so we had to talk about that when you look and you read 1 Corinthians on the own, and that's what he talked about. And, and, and not only that, but they divided themselves among the gifts. Again, placing importance on tongues because it was an impartation of the Holy Spirit. And they thought that that was more important than everything else. But every believer is given at least one gift. We all have at least one thing that we are God have our God-given natural ability to do, even if we don't get taught it properly. We seem a way to figure it out. As one of my calculus professors says, you kind of become like a monkey with a coconut. And I've seen a monkey handle a coconut. They can juggle it back and forth and lift it up and bounce it and do certain things with it that most people cannot. They're familiar with it is what I'm basically trying to say. And these gifts are for the common good. That's why it says in the text that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The wisdom, the knowledge, the faith, the healing, the miracles, the prophecy, the discernment, the tongues, the interpretation of tongues, apostleship, teaching, helping, administration, all of these things are given, and then some. So even if you can't do all of those things, I'm sure there is something that you are good at that you can be able to give your, your, your knowledge, your time, and ability to God for. Because the gift is not for you. It's for the administration of the kingdom. God gave you the talent. Why would it hurt? How would it hurt to not give it back? At least a little bit of it. The list does not continue to be the complete catalog because there are other gifts because there was no mention of music. There is no mention of planning. There are a bunch of other things that are there that, are, that are, 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 we are able to do because everything we do, we ought to do as if God is watching and everything that we do, we ought to do for God. And some of the time I have experienced when we value these gifts, not only do we value certain gifts over the others, but uh, unfortunately, sometimes we value certain traditions over the other. Someone may have a gift. Someone may be good at doing something else, but we won't let them do that. We won't let them bring their gift into the church. Why? Because we've always done it this way and the way you're trying to do it is different. Hello. Hello. We've always done it this way. And you know, the funny thing about we've always done it this way that I've come to learn, we haven't actually always done it this way. I am a part of an organization that was started in the 1800s, one of many. And I 
was reading a paper where someone had did a research paper on certain things that were required of new members coming in and come to find out some of the things that we're doing, even though it's been around since the 1800s and actually earlier before that, they weren't doing that back then. We've always done it this way usually means about 20 years. We, we've always done it this way usually means about 20 years at the most. Sometimes it's been passed down for like a whole generation, so it might mean 40. But we haven't actually always done it this way. So we're, we're turning 150 in May. So there are, that would mean by that math that there's probably three different generations of we've always done it this way. And, 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 and sometimes when you go back to research it, the reason that it was done was more practical than sacred. I grew up for a very long time thinking that the white cloth to cover the communion was specially blessed, had spiritual power in it, and it could not be touched, only to find out when you ask somebody's grandmother or somebody's great-grandmother about why they started putting the white cover over the communion, it was to keep the flies away. I remember seeing a story about a particular person that would cook ham, and their grandmother cooked ham, and they'd always slice the front and the end off before they put it in the oven. And that got passed down to their children and their children and their children. And finally somebody asked, well, why are we cutting off both these ends of ham? And when they asked the person that originated the great-grandmother, she said, well, I did that because the pan I had couldn't fit a full-size ham. So I cut the sides off so that it could fit into the oven. And here we think that that, that, and everybody came down the generation thinking that that was the way you cooked ham, by cutting the ends off. And I say that to say that we use these always done this way to stifle certain gifts. We use this always done this way and it prevents us from moving forward. But we ought to be giving our best to God. And sometimes if giving our best to God means that we have to try something new, means that we have to allow someone else's gift to come in, we'll do that. There are many a professional secular singer who was shunned by the church. Some of the biggest arguments I've ever seen in the church is over who gets to sing what solo. Who gets to be the usher for this service? Who gets to do this? Who gets to prepare certain things? Why? Because we have thought our gifts are about us. But they're not for us. They're for God. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing each one individually as he wills. Our gifts are not for us, and therefore we ought not stress ourselves placing particular values over one gift over the other. Our gifts are for God. And everybody has to play a role. And you may not think your role is important. But it is very important. 
And sometimes the most important roles are the least glorified. I grew up playing football, and so I knew that the most important role on the team was not the quarterback. It's not the running backs, not the wide receivers, by any means. To me, the most important person on the team was the offensive lineman. Why? Because the offensive lineman got down and dirty and threw themselves in front of people so that a small little running back like me could dance around and get in the end zone. If they did not throw themselves in front of me, that meant somebody that was probably twice my size had a running head start to tackle me while I was trying to go for the ball. To me, that was the most important thing. But did they have these uh, accolades for offensive linemen? Do they get as much popularity or do their jerseys sell as much? No. But if an offensive line is bad, the whole team will not prosper. All honest work is honorable. Every little thing you do for the kingdom is helping. I once saw a a particular bishop uh, talking about the administration of his staff and uh, deciding or determining who would get promoted to do what. And something he would do from time to time is sit in a hallway and put a piece of paper in that hallway and see who would walk by and pick it up. And he would be surprised sometimes about the number of people who would walk by that piece of paper, see him, hey, Bishop, how's it going? And go on about their business. But they were unwilling to pick it up. We ought not think so highly of ourselves and our gifts that we aren't willing to do the least things. One of my favorite pastors, preachers, uh, God rest his soul, Archbishop Veron Ash, decided he wanted his church to join a particular denomination. And at the time, he was the senior pastor of the church. And when they joined this denomination, they demoted him to a deacon. And I know in the United Methodist system, a deacon is pretty much an associate pastor here, but a deacon is not that in other churches. And so he was removed from the pulpit and removed from pastorship. And he only made it back to pastoring his own church that he had founded and brought to this denomination because the archbishop came down and saw him sweeping and mopping the church after hours. Because he was able to humble himself and do what was asked and sometimes not even do what was asked, do what was needed. His gift was able to make room for him because he was willing to be faithful over a few things. He became ruler over many to the point that he was traveling the world after being demoted. Now, there are some of us who would think, well, if they got demoted, they would never be seen from again. How dare they tell me to clean up? How dare they tell me to sweep and mop the floor? Don't they know who I am? 
How dare they tell me they need to put somebody else over the ministry? How dare they tell me I need help with this ministry? Don't you know who I am and what I've done? But it's not about I. It's not about me. It's about the advancement of the kingdom. So those of us who can speak a word of wisdom are just as important as those of us who can prophesy, those of us who can heal, those of us who have discernment, those of us who administrate. No one person is more important than the other. No one job is more important than the other. All of these gifts we have are not ours. They are gifts from God, and we ought to use them as such. They gave us these gifts, and we ought to use it for the advancement of the kingdom. Why do we ought to use it for the advancement of the kingdom? Because it came at a high price. Gifts are important. And I laugh at this point because I am reminded of another opportunity where I was reminded that gifts are important. I was going to church one day and forgot my Bible. And my mother allowed me to use hers. And that Bible was a gift. And I went to children's church and either placed it on in the pew, in the back of the pew, or somewhere. But the long story short is I had lost said Bible. And my mother had some words of encouragement for me <laughs> when she found out I had lost the Bible. And so after getting those words of encouragement, I went back up to children's church to ensure that I would find the Bible, and I didn't understand. She kept saying it was a gift. And I didn't understand until I started looking for the Bible, and a couple of my Sunday school classmates were like, Johnny, what are you looking for? And I said, I can't find my mom's Bible. And they said, okay. And then I said, she said it was a gift. And then I understood the value of the gift because even kids that I didn't talk to that much in Sunday school, we all were looking for that Bible until we found it. And it took something like that. Sometimes when an, somebody else in authority tells you something, it doesn't ring true. But when a peer tells you, it makes more sense. But the fact that everybody in the Sunday school was willing to stop what they were doing. To help me find this gift made me understand that gifts come at a high price. All right, all right. And these gifts that we have come at a high price. Amen. They come at a high price because they came down through 42 generations. All right, all right, all right. They come at a high price because it was somebody that was born of a virgin, mm -hmm. conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. They come at a high price because... He who knew no sin took over all the sin for all of us. Mm -hmm. They come at a high price because he got put in jail on trumped up charges. Mm -hmm. They come at a high price because then he was crucified. 
He could have called 10,000 angels down to get him off of that cross. But he knew that this was for us, those who had not even been thought of. So it came at a high price. And not only did it come at a high price, but he died. So it cost him his life. And not no play death, not no spiritual death, not anything where these people try to act like Jesus didn't really die for the sins. And we all superimposed it in our imagination. No, an actual death. Died until the moon was dipped in blood. Died until the earth reeled and rocked like a natural man. Died until the centurion said, surely, surely this must be the son of God. That's the price that these gifts came from us. That is the price it cost him his life. But then, not only that, three days later, he rose again with all power in his hand. And came back and is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. But not only is that the price there, but the price is that he's coming again. So if he was willing to take a beating, take trumped up charges, take off his humanity and his Godship to be a person. If he was willing to die for us and then come back from the grave. If he was willing to do all that, who am I not to give some time to him? Who am I not to give my time, talent, and treasure to him? Who am I not to help If he can do that for me, the least I can do is give my time and my talent in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. The doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.